Hello and welcome to the Bold Believer Podcast, a podcast focusing on apologetics and faith-based questions and answers, diving deep into the historical evidence for the Christian faith, truths founded in Scripture, and how it plays out in the world we live in today. And now, here is your host, Josh Snyder. Alrighty, welcome back to the Bold Believer Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Josh Snyder, here in the Bold Believer Studio over in Georgia State in the United States. I'm excited to be with you once again this week, and I apologize this episode is a little late. Uh, it's still Wednesday when it goes up here, but it is late in the day as I uh, as I didn't get around to sitting down like I should and prioritizing the time I needed to properly get it recorded earlier than I did. And uh, so it is coming up a little late if you're listening to it the day of its release. Um, but other than that, again, most people I don't think really care about it, but it's mainly for my sake. I enjoy trying to do my best to be either on time or punctual, and it is one of the great areas of uh, failure I have in my life, lack of punctuality. But that has nothing to do with anything we're about to say, at least not really. I mean, I'm sure we could tie it back into this very deep topic in which we're going to dive into today, and that is the will of God. The will of God. And man, you got you to gotta bear with me. This one is a, this one is a big one. Oh, so much to even say, and I'm not going to scratch the surface on it, I, even, I, I think, today. But I do believe that there are some characteristics of who God is and how His will is exercised in the world around us and in our lives personally that we can pull out uh, Scripture references to, we can pull out how it works in our lives, and uh, we know a little bit more about God. Again, I don't claim to be somebody who knows uh, a lot about the Creator of time, space, and matter, but it is an intriguing process to try to understand a little bit more about God and in the process uh, become closer to who He is and closer to His will for my life. I mean, truly and ultimately, that is the goal. That is our goal as Christians and as children of God, to be close to God, to be filled with His leading, and to be right where He wants us to be. Before we begin today's episode and the topic in which I just kind of touched on there, uh, we're going to go through a few things here right up front. Uh, first and foremost, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, every every little listen helps boost this thing, and if you want to do a little, us a little bit more of a favor and uh, like or share or leave us a review on Apple or iTunes, rather, uh, the iTunes podcast, or I think it's Apple podcast. Anyway, if you want to leave us a review there, or uh, uh, share us with a friend. If you find some encouragement or help in today's episode, that is always uh, not only a huge encouragement to me and to us here at the Bold Believer studio, as Isaac's out today and any of the other guys that normally hop into the studio with me, those they're all out today. Uh, side note, Isaac will be back next week, and he is going to be uh, underwriting most of the episodes t- to come, and we'll be jumping back into the Bold Believer Faith Defense series uh, this coming week, Lord willing. But thank you so much for tuning in, and if you could uh, share it or like it or whatever the case is on your end or however your platform helps you boost it, please do so because it does just that. It boosts the podcast episode and helps us uh, have, a, have a larger reach. It tells the algorithm giant, so to speak, that you enjoy what you hear. But enough with that uh, intro stuff there. Let's get into the best part of this whole episode, the only reason you showed up here to listen, and that is the Bold, bold joke, joke of the Day. day. Today's bold joke comes from the exponentially bad dad joke book, as always. It's very simple and short. And uh, so, yeah, my mom walked into the room the other day and said, The milkman hasn't come yet. Dad replies, 
How dare you? Dairy. <laughs> oh man, I cracked myself up. Oh man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You probably or some of y'all maybe didn't even get that, and so it makes it even worse that I'm laughing about that. That was that was bad. <laughs> uh, go back and listen to it again if you didn't catch the play on words there, and uh, share it with a friend. You know, making the world laugh just kind of lifts everybody's spirits, even if it's an eye roll kind of laugh. All right, let's uh, let's jump right into today's topic. We're going to be jumping around Scripture just a little bit to get uh, an essence or at least get a fundamental basis of what it means to understand God's will. And the question that I would like to propose to you today is the question, are you in God's perfect will? You see, based on Scripture, I do believe that there are multiple ways in which we can view God's will and multiple ways in which God exercises his will. Now, before you brand me as a heretic or throw me out or don't quite understand where I'm going with this, uh, please hang on tight. I've got some scripture. I've got uh, some context. We're going to put some, some this question in, are, are you in God's perfect will? And, and then the topic as a whole, God's will. And we're going to talk a little bit about what I believe there are three ways in which we can view God's will, and we see that active not only in Scripture, but I believe in the world we live in today. So uh, first, the first verse or set of Scripture I'm, we're going to run over to and get some context here is found in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, just a couple of verses there. And this will not be our, uh, a large, our large context set of verses that we're going to read. We'll do that here in a second, but this is going to give us uh, kind of a springboard into that. So uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 states, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 1 through 2. That verse essentially states that we as, as human beings on this side can understand and know God's perfect will. So first and foremost, if there is some doubters or naysayers in your life or even yourself that states, oh, we can't know God's uh, perfect will. We can't understand completely what God wants us to do in these areas. And as t- at times that may be true, if that is how you live your life and if that is how you view God and how he uh, allows us to know things and understand things that are going on around us uh, within the, and, and tap into the mind of God, so to speak, uh, I, I believe according to scripture, you are wrong or they are wrong. Those people that would state that you can't know God's perfect will because I believe you can. And we're going to go into some detail of what I mean by that here in just a moment. But why do we? Why is? Why should we desire to know God's perfect will? As Romans chapter twelve verse two states, how are, how are we supposed to know God's perfect will? What is the point of trying to tap into the mind of God, so to speak? Well, Paul kind of prefaces it with. Uh, with the statement, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. And he goes on to state that this is your reasonable service. Why is it a reasonable service for us to present ourselves a living sacrifice to God? Well, because Christ gave all, and the least we could do is live our life for him. Christ died and shed all of his blood and then conquered sin and death and took those keys took captivity captive and, uh, and and paid it all. And the least we could do is present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy, 
acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, as Paul states. And be ye not conformed to the world. That is, we're called to not be conformed to this world. This world is counter God. Do not be surprised when when people who do not know who God is or do not care about God uh, come against God and the things of God. Many times I think Christians stand up acting all surprised with how America responds to certain things like abortion laws or certain things like uh, uh, teaching teaching certain ideologies to be factual in public school, for example. We get surprised or we act surprised. Well, we shouldn't act surprised. Like, the world is against God. The world is going to be against God. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't fight back. That doesn't mean we shouldn't stand up and be a voice and a light for truth. But do not be surprised. We should not be surprised when the world comes against us. We, on the other hand, are not to be conformed to the world system. We, on the other hand, are not to be of this world. We are just passing through. And though there are many things in this life that we see only through a glass darkly, as Paul goes on to put it in one of his other uh, epistles or letters to the churches, uh, and someday we're going to have that completely revealed to us and made perfectly known on the other side, that does not mean that on this side we cannot understand or know God's perfect will. Why do I say perfect will? Well, Scripture calls it perfect will. So if there is a perfect will of God, that must mean there is another version of the will of God. And again, before you brand me a heretic, hear me out. Hear me out. Let's all turn over to Numbers chapter 22, verses 3 through 22. There's a few verses there we're going to read. We're going to uh, get into a very, and I should say more than a few, it's a very large set of passage. It's going to be a whole story, so buckle up, hold on tight. We're going to read a story here found in the book of Numbers, and I'm going to give you a ton of context for what I mean when I say there are different versions of God's will. And I don't know if that's even quite how I should properly say it, but you get what I mean. Numbers chapter 22, verses 3 through 22, and then a couple more verses to kind of conclude that. Starts off saying, And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. So just for context there, Moab, or the Moabites, were a, a people who who uh, were, did not like Israel. They came against Israel in the days of uh, the judges and the kings. And uh, they they were scared of Israel. They weren't sure if, if Israel was going to grow so large that they would completely annihilate them as they were coming through the uh, the land of uh, Canaan, conquering and, and dividing the land amongst themselves. Um, so Moab is kind of freaking out, seeing this nation coming coming through. And they the same nation that went through the Red Sea, the same nation that's getting bread dropped from heaven as they wandered in the wilderness, the same nation that went across the Jordan River, uh, the same nation that saw the walls of Jericho fall, like those same people are coming towards your house. <laughs> I'd be a little freaked out too, I guess, if I was a Moabite. But it goes on to say, And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick us all that are around about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. He sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Beer Pure, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people. So don't get confused. There is Balaam and Balak. Balak is the king of the Moabites. Balaam is a, uh, well, a man of God of sorts. I'll explain what I mean by that here in just a little bit. But he's like a prophet. Anyway, it goes on to say, to call him, saying, Behold, here's what they were supposed to tell Balaam, this prophet. Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. 
basically that there's people come they're coming this way there's a large people there are large people there are powerful people and they're basically at my doorstep they're they're coming this way come now therefore as he goes on to say in the message i pray thee curse me this people for they are too mighty for me they believed in the power of words so mightily that they believed that if you had the right person standing up and just pronounce a curse over something or a people that it would happen and Balaam being a prophet apparently again we're going to get into a little bit more about the kind of prophet they he was believed to have been uh, had the power to stand up and to pronounce a curse over Israel and let's go on and see what he does Peradventure I shall prevail, the king wants to prevail over Israel, that we may smite them, that I may drive them out of the land. For I wot that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursed is cursed. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand, and came to Balaam. So they showed up, lots of money in their hand, basically told him, I want you to curse this people because I heard that when you bless people they're blessed and when you curse people they're cursed and so with that kind of power I need you to curse all these other people uh, in the nation of Israel and they came to Balaam and spoke unto him the words of Balak the king and he said unto them this is Balaam speaking lodge here this night and I will bring you word again as the Lord shall speak unto me and the princes of Moab abode with Balaam and God came unto Balaam and said what men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath, has sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Notice this, I'm going to come back to this, but God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. God's like, no, dog, you can't touch my chosen people. Like, th- those, they're my chosen people. Why would I let you go curse Israel? I just brought them out of Egypt, not for you, them to show up here and for you to curse them. Anyway, and Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get you up into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. Basically, get out of here. God said no. And the princes of Moab rose up, and they went back to Balak, and said, Balaam refuseth to come with us. And Balak sent yet again princes more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said unto him, Thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me. Basically, bigger princes show up at Balaam the the, uh, prophet's door and make it even grander entourage and case for this uh, prophet to come to Balak, the king of the Moabites. And and let's go on to see what the response is here. For I will promote thee. This is the actually the message still speaking to Balaam. For I will promote thee unto a very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold... I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. Now, therefore, I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. 
Uh, really quickly, I wanted to touch on this just in passing. There is some speculation. There's some other research that has gone into understanding a little bit more about who Balak, or I'm sorry, Balaam, the prophet, was. You say, well, why wasn't Balaam with the children of Israel if he was a prophet of God? Well, he he himself was was uh, not an Israelite, at least not not of the tribe of uh, of the seed of Jacob uh, or Israel, uh, but he knew who God was, apparently, and knew that the Lord is God, like God of the children of Israel. The same God of the children of Israel is the God he is communicating with. He is communicating, has connection to heaven as a prophet would in that day, as a prophet of God would in that day. But there is some confusion going on within him and within the ways in which he conducts himself and and the kind of prophet he was and some speculate he was more of a of a sorcerer that had a mixture of an understanding of who God is and God just chose to work uh, through him and to speak through him because of the significance of the situation and that being uh, him coming to the God God in heaven saying do I curse these people and of course God's going to answer when it had to do with the chosen people um, so there's some speculation of whether or not he was a true prophet of God but at any rate, that's not the whole. That's not anywhere near the point of this lesson. I just wanted to touch on that just in passing there, and uh, so we see Balaam get asked again, uh, "Come and curse these people," and he said, "Well, if you didn't, if you gave me all the silver and gold and the houses and all these riches and things like that, I I, I can't go beyond the word of God." Uh, back when I heard my dad speak on something similar to this nature, whenever he made the speculation, uh, whenever Balaam makes a statement about silver and gold and riches and houses and stuff like that and uh, makes a speculation that that is actually where his mind was at and he could have even been strategically trying to get himself more and more uh, reward by putting them off even though he knew he was supposed to put them off based on the word of the Lord and so he puts them off and he says no no I, I can't do this but, but, hang out one more night is what he goes on to tell them. Basically, stay here another night and uh, I'll talk to God again. Maybe he changed his mind. Maybe, uh, maybe I can go with you this time. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think that gives a little bit more insight to where his mind was at, though. Uh, God told him, no, don't go with him. And he said, no, nah, let me ask again. Let me, let me see. Let's go on to see what Balaam does and how he communicates with God a second time. Uh, this is another key verse here, and again, I'll come back to it really quickly when we discuss the different elements or different types of the will of God. Uh, and God came unto Balaam at night, so they, they're coming into communication again, and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the words which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. So God, very at least the passage implies that Balaam didn't even go to God and say, Hey, God, here's what's going on, and I'd like to do this. No, God came to Balaam that night and told him exactly what he needed to do, knowing that Balaam wanted to ask him again about going with these men and wanted to see if he changed his mind. Well, apparently, according to this verse right here, God changed his mind. Again, hold on. I'm not actually saying that. Just, just hold on. God told him, though, you go ahead and go with them. Go ahead and go with them, and I'm going to tell you some things to say. goes on to say, And Balaam rose up in the morning, and saddled his ass, and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the way 
for an adversity against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and two servants were with him. So really quickly, before we get the conclusion of this story of what goes on to happen uh, here in the, in the book of Numbers, let me go back and tie back to some of the key points here and what I believe we can pull from this. I believe there are three different types of what we can at least observe, wills of God. Number one, the perfect will of God. We see that reference to in Scripture. We see, uh, and we we see it accessible. And if it's accessible or attainable for us to to not only grasp in our minds but to actually walk in, that means that means it is a an actual concept. God has a perfect will. But then, secondly, we see a permissive will. We see the perfect will, for example, the, number, the first will, being reflected when God told Balaam, do not go with them. Do not curse these people. They are blessed. These are my people. Do not, do not touch these people. Don't go with the people and, and go up to, to, to the Moabites and curse, curse the Israelites. But when, then we see when Balaam comes back again to God, God shows up and says, okay, if they show up and tell you to go with them tomorrow, go with them. And uh, you only say what I tell you to say. And then we go on to see that God was actually mad at Balaam for going anyway. You might say, what? Didn't God just tell him to go? Well, let's tie it back to the intent of Balaam's heart, which God knew, and Balaam knew it as well. You know, God, maybe Balaam thought he was hiding certain elements or certain aspects of who his character really was and what his ideas about money and prestige and all of this really was but God knew and Balaam the the prophet in the story knew as well God said okay you're asking you're going to come and ask again go ahead and go even though that is not my will even though I would not that you go I do not want you to go so much so that he put an angel in the way to block him as he is on his way Man, you say, wow, that's just a crazy story. What well, doesn't even make sense. He said, don't go, then go. And then now he's mad because he went as he told him to go. Well, again, it comes back to the idea that God's will truly was do not go. Stay here. Stay behind. Uh, don't curse these people. Don't go with these men. Don't get close to the edge just so you can jump off when the gold gets to be enough or the, the, the price becomes high enough for you. Don't go. But okay, okay, you can go ahead and go. Let me let me give it a little bit more of an accurate modern example. Think about a time in your life where you know you weren't supposed to do something. Think about a time in your life where you knew you weren't supposed to be in a certain place. And 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 you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit prior to going to that place or doing that activity or doing that thing pulling at you saying, "No, don't go. Don't go." But because of God's grace, he didn't strike us dead right there when we did go. Because of God's grace, he didn't punish us straight out the gate because of what we did or, or us deciding to go anyway. And when we decided to do that thing or to go to that place or to hang out with those people or to act that certain way, God's will was not that we go and do that. God's perfect will was that we don't go and do that. But check this out. I mean, hopefully I'm not going to get too tangled up here. When we went and did whatever it was, let's just say I uh, let's just say I got married to the wrong person, which I did not. I believe wholeheartedly I found the the greatest woman that I could have found on this side of eternity. Uh, no offense to any ladies listening, but my wife she's uh, she's 100, 110. Um, the uh, <laughs> if I was to get married to the wrong person, 
that doesn't mean that my life is trashed and nothing good can come out of my life. And that doesn't mean that there's not blessing going to come in my life either. I hope I can say this right. If I'm unequally yoked with an unbeliever, if I'm, if I'm unequally married with an unbeliever, for example, as Scripture says, do not be unequally yoked. Do not be married to somebody who is not a believer uh, as a believer yourself. Then if I went and married somebody who was not a believer, I would be out of the perfect will of God. But does that mean God cannot work in that situation? Does that mean that God cannot use that situation to do something great in? No, not at all. God's will perfectly is that I try to find the right person and I'm and I wait for that right person to come along. I wait for the blessing of God to fall on a on a relationship between myself and somebody else. And I and I did. Thank God he was gracious enough to not let me get tangled up with the wrong person uh, before before my wife Anna came along. Again, I I don't necessarily believe in soulmates, but that's another <laughs> lesson for another time, I suppose. Um but we can be out of the perfect will of God and still be in a situation where God can take it and use it for good. As, as I believe it was uh, Joseph, when he looked at his brothers after he'd been sold into slavery, uh, was, it, was it God's perfect will that his brothers uh, sell him into slavery? I, I guess I can't answer that. We look at all the evils in this life, like Joseph being sold into slavery. Can we say that God would instigate or, or, or ask us to do those sins or to commit those acts in his perfect will. And I would have to say, honestly, from my heart and based on what I see in scripture, God is God's will is not that we should do those things. God's will is not that we should sell our siblings into slavery. But even though Joseph was sold into slavery, God took that evil and used it for good. God has a perfect will and God has a permissive will. God has a will on which he allows us to do some stupid things sometimes and still chooses to work in those things. And just for sake of time, we don't have time to go on and read the conclusion of the story, but God worked even mightily, even more mightily in the life of uh, Balaam the prophet. The donkey in which he was riding, the ass, as scripture calls it, again, this is not an explicit thing, like this is literally what it was called, an ass. I know it's kind of weird, but anyway, King James English for you. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> I hope that wasn't too far for some of y'all. We see God being not only patient and not only even letting Balaam do some things that literally I believe were just lustful actions. He desired reward. He desired prestige in an area in which God said no. God allowed him to do it and even said, yeah, go ahead and do it. And still his will was that he do not go. His perfect will was that he stay behind. That's why the angel stood in the way. But even deeper than that, the angel was actually going to kill Balaam. The angel was going to, God's justice was going to fall on Balaam for not obeying the first commandment. And and the donkey sees the angel. The donkey in which Balaam is riding sees this angel in the way and he gets out of the way. And you, if you know the story, you know that Balaam starts to beat his donkey and gets angry at this donkey, this donkey in which he's owned for years and rode on for years, had no problems with before. And all of a sudden, the donkey starts doing some weird stuff, and Balaam can't see the angel, but the angel stands in the way. And Balaam, eventually, his eyes were opened after the donkey was almost beat to death. He looks up and sees the angel with a flaming sword standing in front of him. And the donkey looks at him and says, <laughs> the donkey opens his mouth, the, uh, I don't know if we can say this. Okay, there's a verse in scripture that talks about the dumbass speaking. Uh, is that too far for you? I'm, I'm, I'm literally saying what scripture says, and it literally means what it means. 
the donkey, the donkey which could not speak, opened its mouth and began to ridicule or chastise Balaam, saying, dude, I've been a good donkey for you all your life. And, I mean, don't you understand that I'm doing something weird now because something weird is going on? And because he saw the angel of the Lord, he realized that the donkey was keeping him from killing or being killed by this angel. He was holding him back. The great, Even in that situation that was really messed up where Balaam was not where he should be, God's grace still said, okay, I'm going to allow your donkey to do some something supernaturally miraculous just to show you that I'm patient. Even though I should exercise my justice, I am patient with you. And so if you know the story, Balaam goes and gets the green light to go to the king of Moab, and they show up, and he can only bless the people of Israel. He can only bless them. We see some other screwed up things begin to happen after it's all said and done because Balaam kind of shrieked around the lines knowing that he was commanded to only bless Israel. He'd be actually turned around and then told the king how he can infiltrate the the children of Israel or the Israelites by sending in the Moabitess women, the, the women of the land of Moab, and get them to start sleeping with the children of Israel. And that's a whole other mess. And uh, there was some iniquity, there were some long-term consequences that came from that as well. And that uh, that was one of Israel's downfall, if you know much about the children of Israel, was uh, fornication. And uh, then uh, finally and eventually idolatrous worship, worshiping other gods because of the women of the land wanting the men in which they'd seduced to worship these other gods. But God in this, let's bring it back to the points here. God in this whole story had a perfect will. We see that very clearly, even so much so, even after he said, yeah, go ahead and go, the angel of the Lord stood in his way to kill him if he kept going and then opened the eyes of the donkey just to show him his power and to show him that his hand was stayed back just just before, you know, right in front of his face. He did, he could have killed him, and ju- justly speaking, he should have because he was not where he should be. But even in all of that, God's permissive will still worked out to an amazing uh, outcome, and that was a blessing on the children of Israel that Balaam had to, to give. Just like Balaam, one of the first things that we will be attacked from whenever Satan's trying to come against the will of God, and the perfect will of God more specifically, is he will get us to question what God has said and what we know to be his right based on the word of God. We see an example like this found in an, a relationship that is unequally yoked. Uh, you're, you marry yourself to an unbeliever. Um, to get to that point, though, most of the time as believers, we've got to put God's word on the shelf or start to question it and then justify. And then, well, now we're married to somebody who does not hold God to be Lord. And, and that, that presents a whole other plethora of problems. And we realize why God said, don't, don't do that. Just don't do that. Uh, we see another example found in the, uh, the very first sin when Satan came up against God's word when he was asking Eve about uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and challenging her on it and, bas- and downright lying to her about it. When Satan wants to come against us, he will get us to question God's word when he wants us to question God's perfect will. The second sign we see also is God will try to get our attention through circumstances. We see in this story that we just read that Balaam was had a donkey who supernaturally tried to get his attention in this. What is trying to get your attention right now to tell you, no, don't go that way. Stop it. Stay back. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit. I hope it's the Holy Spirit. If you claim to be a child of God, the Holy Spirit should be active and indwelling. 
But deeper than that, God will even use physical circumstances or the people around us to get our attention. Uh, something else I'd like us to notice, the further Balaam gets away from God's perfect will, is it, the harder it becomes to disobey. The harder, the harder we see God actually putting up circumstances and situations to push against him to tell him, no, this is, actu- this is not it. This is not it. You're doing this in your flesh. You're doing this for yourself. I believe the same is to t- true for us Christians. Also, please understand that God is completely sovereign, and though it may not be his perfect will for us to do many things that we do against him and others, he can and will always prevail, and in the end, his purposes will be accomplished. We see his actions all through scriptures, and more specifically in the story of Moses and Pharaoh. When when Moses came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, and Pharaoh said no, and the Bible says Pharaoh hardened his heart. A few times over, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and eventually, those the same mouth that said no, Pharaoh, when he said no, the Bible goes on to say God hardened Pharaoh's heart. There's a big debate going on about the will of God and sovereignty and free will and all this other stuff. We don't have time to get into all of that. But just simply, I want to make an observation, just simple observation from that story. Some people say God hardened his heart the whole time. Well, then why would scripture say that Pharaoh chose to harden his heart? God has a will, and I believe everyone has an opportunity to respond to that will. Understand that the same sun that softens the butter hardens the bricks. Pharaoh said no one too many times, and God said, okay, that's where we're going. We're going that way. And I'm still going to get my children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And so God hardened his heart, and eventually Pharaoh was drowned in the Red Sea because of his disobedience. And these are just a few examples in Scripture where God has a perfect will, And we also see the exercising of God's uh, permissive will. God allows certain things to happen, and he still works through it. And then ultimately and truly, when it is all said and done, and at the end of the day, if God's will is that something should take place uh, truly, then it's going to happen, whether we like it or not. Again, that's a whole other topic for another time or a whole other discussion on the will of God. God's prevailing will. I believe we see the perfect will, we see the permissive will, and we see the prevailing will. And in the end, when this is all said and done, it doesn't matter what we say or do, every, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I'm going to do that on this side when I have the choice to bend my knee to Almighty God and say, you are my Lord, because he is worthy of it. Amen. I hope I've given you some food for thought on this episode. I know it's gone a little longer than normal. Uh, What do you think of today's episode? Would you like more episodes that might focus around the will of God or talking about the will of God? Again, I know I can't totally understand it myself. There are certain things that I'm sure I didn't cover in the best detail today, but I'd love to hear what you think of today's episode. Please uh, leave us a rating or drop a comment in the Spotify uh, little questionnaire that we have every week. And come back again next week for another episode of the Bold Believer podcast. And until then, go out, share your faith, be a light wherever God has placed you, and be a bold believer. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. Be sure to give us a rating and follow us for more Christ-centered content as we learn and grow together wherever you get your podcasts. Now, go out and be a bold believer.